So looking forward to meeting once again on Sunday morning. Father, I do pray that you would just bless this time in the study of Ezekiel. And Lord, uh, even though these are harsh words to uh, hear, and uh, as we go through these chapters, that there is an important application for us today. And Lord, uh, we know that your heart breaks because uh, you don't delight in bringing judgment to the wicked. Uh, that's what Ezekiel declared your heart. But Lord, we know that, um, that judgment came to a people that forsook you and broke your covenant. And, and Lord, we know that you will uh, judge sin. Uh, you will judge a Christ-rejected world that is yet future. But we are very grateful that we as believers, that we know that Jesus took the judgment for us on that cross so that we don't have to taste death, so we don't have to be separated from you, but, Lord, that we have forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray that we will remember the glorious plan that you have for us and promise of eternal life. And, Lord, as we read these chapters, that uh, it wouldn't cause us to be cynical, but, Lord, that our hearts would break as we see the people around us and even a nation that is forsaking you more, that getting further away from you. And, and Lord, we want to be able to minister to them and pray for them. And even as Ezekiel, we see Jeremiah, Isaiah did, uh, they had a heart for those uh, that were lost. Even Daniel, we see that with Nebuchadnezzar. And, Lord, we want to have that same kind of tender heart uh, as we know that the fruit of the Spirit is tenderheartedness, compassion, to be gentle. And, Lord, so do that work in us as we go through these chapters. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ezekiel, off in the captivity, remember that he is ministering about 11 years uh, as he was taken into captivity. He's in uh, Babylon at the river Shabar. He's with the other captives, and God is using him to speak the, the word of the Lord to the captives, and also, as we have seen, that he would be taken in the spirit to Jerusalem where he has these visions. And, and also with Ezekiel, that he's given these illustrations as well. I and mean, we saw that same thing would be with Jeremiah. Jeremiah was told as he, at the same time as in Jerusalem, speaking to the leaders there of Jerusalem and the people that have been left behind, saying, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Don't try to escape Zedekiah, because if you do, destruction and devastation and death is going to come. So he takes the leaders and he takes a clay pot and he breaks it and he says, that's what's going to happen if you rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. You will be broken, Jerusalem. And Zedekiah, don't try to escape, otherwise you'll be killed. And Ezekiel is going to be speaking about these very things he has as we saw that uh, the severity of judgment would be pronounced against Jerusalem by Ezekiel as well. Remember, Jeremiah is saying the same things to the people directly in Jerusalem and that judgment is going to be severe and complete. And we saw last time in chapter 10 that the glory departed from the temple. And what a just a, a sad commentary of what the days were like as we, Ezekiel sees that vision of the glory of God depart from the threshold of the temple and, and over the Mount of Olives and then departs Jerusalem. And we can think back to 400 years before that time, about 400 years, where it was uh, Solomon who constructed the, the temple. And when they dedicated the temple, the glory of the Lord was so magnificent and brilliant that they, the priests had to stop ministering. And, and all of a sudden, because of 
just the severity of their rebellion against the Lord that we see that the glory departed because the temple is full of idols and, and uh, the Lord will not share his glory uh, with anyone or any idol. So the glory departed and then the Lord continues to speak through Ezekiel, the wicked counselors that were on the scene. But here's the thing to remember, and you see this pattern, whether you're reading the, the books of the prophets that are pronouncing judgment on Israel and Judah, that there's a promise as we closed last week of a restoration. And we saw that with Jeremiah as you read chapter 33. uh, And actually that section, chapter 30 through 33 of Jeremiah, really speaking of that new covenant, that God's going to restore Judah and Israel that is yet future. And we see that with Ezekiel speaking the same thing, how God's going to restore them. And he says that I'll put a new spirit within you and take the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart uh, uh, that is after me to keep my ways and my statutes. And you'll be my people and I will be your God. Very similar to what Jeremiah told them. And we know that what we see in the pattern is that the Lord, even though he's bringing words of judgment, he doesn't leave them without any hope. And he says that I'm still your future and hope. I know my thoughts towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil. Uh, That's in Jeremiah chapter 29. There is a future promise, but also there's going to be a remnant that you're going to come back into the land, and I'm going to work once again. And, you know, the Lord doesn't leave us without hope. And when we talk to people about what happens in their rebellion against the Lord or forsaking the Lord, we don't want to leave them without any hope. We don't want to just back them in the corner and just uh, begin to blast them and judgment is going to come if you don't repent and you're going to go to hell and all of this. We can speak truth and hard words to them, but always give them hope that there is a turning to the Lord, that you can do that today and be forgiven and come to the cross of Calvary. Jesus is your salvation, and we always want to give people that hope. Uh, of the gospel. So let's begin to look at chapter 12. And what we're going to see is that once again, Ezekiel is going to be given illustrations of the captivity and the severity of the captivity and judgment is going to come. And also that a word is going to be spoken against the false prophets that were on the scene. And it's very applicable to you and to me because Jesus said that in the last days that there will be false prophets and teachers that will be on the scene deceiving many. We also know that as we saw on Sunday, if you were with us in our study this last Sunday, as Jesus said, you need to be discerning of the times in which Uh, you are in. He said that to the religious leaders. They didn't discern uh, the time that it was uh, the time of the coming of the Son of Man. You could discern the face of the sky, the weather, but you can't discern that uh, the coming of the Son of Man. And we are to be discerning of the days in which we are in. And one of the things that Jesus said, the signs of my coming is, is that there will be many that will come on the scene that will be false prophets and teachers deceiving many. And it's interesting, Jesus says many, not a few, but many. So let's begin to look at our texts here, our, these chapters, Ezekiel chapter 12, that we do read. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, speaking of God's people, which has ears to see but does not see, and ears to hear but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. These are similar words that Jesus would speak concerning the people 
and the religious leaders of his day. It, fulfillment of, of the prophets, the fulfillment of Isaiah. They have ears, but you don't hear. You're dull of hearing. You're, you're dull of seeing. And of course, they weren't hearing or seeing spiritually at this time. They were deaf and blind to the Lord. We continue in verse 3. Therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity and go into captivity by day in their sight. You shall go from your place into captivity to another place in their sight. It may be that they will consider, though they are a rebellious house. By day you shall bring out your belongings in their sight, as though going into captivity, and at evening you shall go in their sight, like those who go into captivity. In verse 5, dig through the wall in their sight and carry your belongings out through it. And in their sight you shall bear them on your shoulders and carry them out at twilight, and you shall cover your face so that you cannot see the ground. For I have made you a sign to the house of Israel. So take your belongings. And here is Ezekiel once again, uh, given an illustration that he was to give to the people because they weren't seeing and they weren't hearing. Take your belongings, Ezekiel, as a sign that, that the people are going to be in captivity, digging through the wall, portraying or illustrating the captivity, and they just weren't getting it. And you are to take your belongings, dig through the wall, go out uh, in their sight uh, as though going into captivity. We continue reading about this in verse 7 of the chapter. So I did as I was commanded, and I brought out my belongings by day as though going into captivity. And at evening I dug through the wall with my hand. I brought them out at twilight, and I bore them on my shoulder in their sight. And in the morning the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, verse 9, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? And say to them, Thus says the Lord God, This burden concerns the prince of Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are among them. Say, I am assigned to you as I have done, and so it shall be done to them, and they shall be carried away into captivity. So they're asking, what are you doing, Ezekiel? What's this all about, coming out and having a knapsack on and digging through the wall uh, in our sight? And uh, God is going the extra mile here if they ask, uh, you're, you're getting their attention by acting this out, then you can tell them and give them the message. Now here it's mentioned that you're to say the prince of Jerusalem. Uh, this is a burden concerning the prince of Jerusalem. At this time, Zedekiah is the king of Judah. He's the last king of Judah uh, before uh, they uh, would uh, have Jerusalem or see Jerusalem being destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Keep in mind that Jeremiah, he had been ministering from the time of Josiah, the last of the good kings, for over 40 years, uh, clear until 586 B.C. and a few years after that when he was taken off into Egypt. But here is Ezekiel. He is taken into captivity after the reign of Josiah. Then comes his son, Jehoahaz, that reigned for about three months, and then he's taken off into Egypt. And then Jehoiakim, he was on the scene for 11 years. He was a terrible king. And during his reign was the first deportation where Daniel's taken off into captivity to Babylon in 605 B.C. Up until about 597 B.C. when he dies, it is believed that perhaps that he was killed. Nebuchadnezzar uh, was going to come into Jerusalem in that time. The people thought he's going to destroy Jerusalem. So they, they did away with Jehoiakim, a terrible king. 
And he took some more away captive at that time, but spared the city. And then Zedekiah would come on the scene. Actually, after Jehoiakim, his son Jehoiakim, with an N, only reigned for about three months. And Babylon said, nope, he's going to go off into captivity. And he did. And then it was Zedekiah. And Zedekiah is told, don't rebel against uh, Jerusalem. So those are the last of the four kings that came on the scene after Josiah. And, and here is a sign to the prince of, of Jerusalem. And he's speaking to them. And they're going to be carried off into captivity, verse 12. And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. And they shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so they cannot see the ground with his eyes. And I will also spread my net over him. And he shall be caught in uh, my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon in the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. And I will scatter to every wind all who are around him to help him and all his troops. And I will draw out the sword after them. And then they shall know that I am the Lord. There's that phrase again. We see it all throughout Ezekiel here. That they will know that I am the Lord And when I scatter them among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. But I will spare a few of their men from the sword, from famine, from pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the Gentiles wherever they go, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. So the second part of Ezekiel's sign that he's given to them in acting out pictures Zedekiah's vain attempt to escape. And you might recall that in our studies of Jeremiah, Jeremiah again telling Zedekiah, don't try to escape Jerusalem. Uh, if you stay, uh, you'll be under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, but at least you'll live and Jerusalem will be spared. But if you rebel and the city rebels, then it will be destroyed and you're going to be killed. And that's exactly what happened. So here, as he's talking about a knapsack that they would carry, remember that the people... As they are taken off in captivity, it is not like they can load up U-Hauls with all their stuff. It's just a knapsack on their back, uh, grieving so much they don't even look at the ground. And we see in verse 13, it's interesting, that I will spread my net over him. Speaking of Zedekiah, he's going to be caught. I'll bring him to Babylon in the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. Here's the thing that happened, and you might recall in our Jeremiah study, is that Zedekiah tried to escape when he was told not to. They would catch him. They would take him to where Nebuchadnezzar was. And the last thing that Zedekiah saw was his two sons uh, being put to death. And then Zedekiah, his eyes were plucked out at that time. So he went to Babylon in the captivity, but he didn't see the land. So it's exactly as Jeremiah said would happen, uh, and it's exactly as uh, Ezekiel said would happen. His eyes were plucked out. The last thing he saw was the, the death of his sons. And here's the thing to remember, that as we've been reiterating, going through these chapters and through these books of the Old Testament, that, listen, sin affects a whole lot of people. When we commit sin and we rebel against God, it isn't just about us. But it hurts the people that are around us, that love us, our families, our children, our grandchildren, uh, when we are in rebellion against the Lord. And, and that's exactly what is illustrated and what we learn from going through these chapters. Zedekiah, his sons were killed before him. 
And just because of his rebellion against the word of the Lord. So we need to remember that, uh, that we are not to buy into the lie of the enemy or the world that says, just do what you want to do. You're not hurting anyone. No one's going to know about it. That is a big deception of the enemy. Because sin not only hurts you, but it hurts the people around you and your family. And it's just bad news. It leads you to captivity. It leads you to a place that you don't want to be. So here we are going to continue to see in verse 17 in the end of the chapter that Ezekiel is going to be telling them that the judgment is not going to be postponed. Moreover, verse 17, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking and drinking your water with trembling and anxiety. So here another illustration, another sign that you are to to give to the people when you eat your bread, you do it with quaking or that is shaking. You're to drink your water with trembling and and show the anxiety and uh, doing that. In verse eighteen, son of, uh, verse nineteen, that is, and say to the people of the land, thus says the Lord God to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the land of Israel, they shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with dread, so that her land may be empty of all who are in it because of the violence of all those who dwell in it. And then the cities that are inhabited shall lay waste, and the land shall become desolate, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So you you shake, you quake, eating your food, drinking your water. It's a sign of the terror that is to come upon uh, the house of Israel, upon Jerusalem, Verse 21, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, what is this proverb that you people have about the land of Israel, which says the days are prolonged and every vision fails? Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, the days are at hand and the fulfillment of every vision. For no more shall there be any false visions or flattering uh, divinations within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord I speak, and the word which I speak will come to pass. It will no more be postponed. For in your days, O rebellious house, I will say the word and perform it, says the Lord God. So in this, there were false prophets that were saying, listen, the destruction, the captivity is not going to happen. It's going to be prolonged. Uh, They were saying that the visions that the prophets gave, um, you know, uh, such as Ezekiel and Jeremiah, don't listen to those guys. It will come to nothing. Uh, And the Lord says that proverb won't be speaking any longer. That judgment is going to come. It is imminent. It's not going to be prolonged. And you know, your smug assurance of everything, you think that everything will be okay, it's going to come to an end with the judgment. The days are near, says the Lord. The word which I speak will come to pass. And it's true of God's word. Listen, God's word will come to pass. Jesus said every dot and tittle will be fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And the things that are told to us in God's word will all be fulfilled. And as we finish the chapter here, again, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, look to the house of Israel is saying, the vision that he sees is for many days from now, and he prophesies at times far off. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be postponed anymore, but the word which I speak will be done, says the Lord God. 
It's going to come to pass, this judgment. And we know that it's true today for you and for me as the days in which we are in. That Peter would write about that there's going to be scoffers that will be in the last days that they will be saying, where's the coming of the Lord since, you know, your forefathers' times? All things continue as they were. And, and the scoffers are on the scene. There are those who say, you know what, the tribulation period's not going to happen. The rapture's not going to happen. The millennium reign's not going to happen. You know, the Lord delays his coming. And, it, and we know that the scriptures tells us the coming of the Lord is at hand. You know, James writes that in his uh, epistle. And we live in, in similar days where there are those who scoff and say that, you know, the, the coming of the Lord isn't going to be near. You don't have to worry about it. Um, and we know that the writer of Hebrews says that the one who will come, uh, that shall come, will come. And he's going to delay no longer. We don't know the day or the hour of the coming of the Lord. But it is foolish of us to think that he can come at any time. That we need to be watching, we need to be waiting, and the faithful servant that's looking for the master's return. That's a commandment from Jesus, and we talked about that specifically on Sunday. And so here were those who are saying, you know, it's not going to happen, everything's going to be okay. And then as we move into chapter 13, we're going to see that uh, those false prophets, a word against them is given in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy, and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, Take note of that, their own heart. Hear the word of the Lord. And thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have uh, seen nothing. Now speaking of the false prophets that were prophesying a false word, they were saying, Hear the word of the Lord. They were claiming to speak on behalf of the Lord, but they weren't. And notice, I've already brought this out, that they prophesied they're inspired by their own heart. It was not the heart of God. Uh, Ezekiel was faithful in speaking the word of the Lord. And as he prophesied, he's revealing the heart of the Lord. Give people the heart of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the truth of the Lord. Not what people just want to hear or what's going to make them feel good. And there can be a tendency of that in the day in which we're in, that there are those who say, I want to, to speak to where it just is pleasing to the flesh. What people want to hear, we need to give people the truth. And, and we need to speak the heart of the Lord, particularly when it comes to his coming, when it comes to living for the Lord and, and living faithfully for him, the truth of God's word. And second of all, we see here in these short verses that we read, that not only are they uh, inspired by their own heart, but they follow their own spirit. Second of all, you can write in your notes or highlight. It's not, you know, the spirit of God. It's their own spirit. And we know that Paul, that he would write in 1 Timothy chapter 4, that in the latter times there are going to be those who are going to follow after a demonic spirit and follow doctrines of demons. And there are those today that, as we see that they speak falsely concerning the Lord, that they follow their own spirit. And then thirdly, you can know, because they prophesy from their own inspiration and their own spirit, they are foolish, and they've seen nothing as far as any godly vision. So just as there are some today, listen, just because somebody says, thus saith the Lord, 
we know that even as Paul would write to the Corinthians, that you are to judge prophecy. You're to line it up with the word of God. John writes in his epistle, test the spirits to see if they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And we can test it through the word of God. If they speak, thus saith the Lord, in a predictive sense, it has to come to pass, 100% accurate, or otherwise, they spoke falsely. But we continue as he is saying, woe to the foolish prophets. In verse 4, O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the desert. What does that mean? Well, their message that they're giving is deceptive, and it's also very dangerous. And the message that they were giving these false prophets were like foxes or jackals that might read in your text or in your, you know, margins, that they would dwell in the ruins and Jerusalem will be brought to ruins because you believed the lie. And then in verse 5, you have not gone up into the gaps of the wall, uh, gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand and battle the day of the Lord. You false prophets, you did not defend the things of the Lord. You didn't stand in the gap. You and I, we are to stand in the gap. We are to stand in the gap in prayer and giving the truth of God's word in the day in which we are living in. They weren't doing that. You should have been given truth and you didn't. And Israel's moral and spiritual walls were collapsing. And notice here in the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord speaking here of the Babylonian judgment, that term is used also in the Old Testament and in the New Testament speaking of a future time from the tribulation period, the beginning of the tribulation period, and all the way to that includes the second coming of Jesus Christ as he will come literally physically to this earth uh, at the end of the, that seven-year period, the tribulation period, and then the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. That's all the day of the Lord. It is judgment followed by blessing. And, and we will see that as we continue going through the books of the prophets. But he says the day of the Lord is coming. And in verse 6, they have envisioned futility and false divination Thus says the Lord, but the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope that the word may be confirmed. Have you not seen a futile vision, and have you not spoken false divination? You say, the Lord says, but I have not spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken nonsense. Isn't that interesting? It's a bunch of nonsense. And envision lies. Therefore, I am indeed against you, says the Lord God. Verse 9, my hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and whose divine lies they shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor be written in the record of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. They, they are speaking nonsense is what they are. Some of the things that I hear today, you, you line it up with the word of God and you think this is nonsense what they're saying. It may sound good. It, it pleases the flesh of people. It, it, it sounds like a wonderful thing. No, no tribulation period is coming. The church is going to grow and grow and we're going to take over the world and we're going to usher in the second coming. It's nonsense. It's perilous times. There is a, a time of judgment that's going to come. And we have a glorious promise, and the Lord's going to come back, but it, he isn't dependent on us. And there's going to be a false church on the scene. So you, you read that, and you think, well, and hear those words, but it doesn't line up with what the Word of God has to say. 
And notice that the serious judgment that would come upon them in the verses that we just read, that number one, they would not belong to the council of God's people. In other words, they had received favor because of the false visions that said everything's going to be okay. And people, they like that. They like to hear a good message. In the last days, people have itchy ears, heaping up teachers for themselves, is what Paul would write to Timothy, some of the last words of Paul in the last days. But when the prophecies failed, they would lose their favor with the people. They won't be in in the assembly of the people, number one. Second of all, notice, they will not be written in the records of the house of Israel. They wouldn't be listed as citizens of Israel, and they would lose their rights as citizens, and, and they would be, as you were, excommunicated from the fellowship of Israel. And then thirdly, they would never again enter the land of Israel, and they would die as captives. It reminds me here that James says, don't all of you desire, many of you desire to be teachers because you'll be held at a higher judgment. It is an incredible, awesome thing uh, to be teaching the word of God. And I will be held at a stricter judgment. And, And so here we see the severe consequences of those who are given false teaching and of the false prophets. It also reminds me of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And he said that many will say to me in that day, he, he says, first of all, not this is Jesus, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonderful uh, wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And I get calls on that, and, and people say, boy, that really bothers me, that those who say, Lord, Lord, that the day is going to come when the Lord says, even though you prophesied in my name, did many wonders in my names, I never knew you. Depart from me. And the key is in that, that Jesus says, I never knew you. There was no true relationship there. And not everyone who speaks on behalf of the Lord, prophesies in his name or does works in the name of the Lord, that they truly belong to the Lord. And that's what the Matthew chapter 7 tells us, a very sobering verse. And, um, and Jesus says, I didn't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, you who practice lawlessness and deception. Verse 10 of the chapter, because indeed, because they have seduced my people, saying, peace, when there is no peace or one builds a wall, they plaster it with untempered mortar. Uh, say to those who plaster it with untempered mortar that it will fall. There will be a flooding rain, and you, O great hailstones, shall fall, and a stormy wind shall tear it down. As we read this, you know, interesting, um, as calling Israel's attention to the serious cracks in the spiritual foundation and walls uh, that. Uh, were to protect them and, and be their strength. And these guys were dabbling plaster to hide the uh, deficiencies and the cracks and how it's all crumbling. When we were in college, and, you know, young people do this, when they rent a place or a dorm room, you know, when they drill holes in the walls, they, they cover it with toothpaste rather than really fixing it the right way it's supposed to be. And that's kind of like they're filling the cracks and everything with toothpaste and and that which isn't true mortar. Um, the, the problems are being exposed. And these guys are saying there is no problem. Everything's good. We're strong. And they weren't. It was about ready to collapse. 
And verse 12, surely when the wall has fallen, it will not be said to you, where is the mortar in which you plastered it? So because they did not attend to the cracks of the wall, they're going to be, you know, it's going to be noticed. It's going to come out when the wall collapses. In verse 13, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will cause a stormy wind to break forth in my fury, and there shall be flooding rain in my anger and great hailstones and fury to consume it. So break down the wall you have plastered with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be uncovered and it will fall and you shall be consumed in the midst of it. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And thus I will accomplish my wrath on the wall and on all those who have plastered it with untempered mortar. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who plastered it. That is, the prophets of Israel who prophesy concerning Jerusalem and who see visions of peace for uh, her when there is no peace, says the Lord. So judgment would come against those false prophets that were saying, peace, nothing's going to happen, and, and it's not going to happen what they said, that there is going to be no peace. Verse 16 says the Lord. And in verse 17, likewise, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own heart, prophesying against them and say, thus says the Lord God, woe to the women who sew magic charms on their sleeves and make veils for the heads of the people of every height to hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people and keep yourselves alive? And will you profane me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, killing people who should not die and keeping the people alive who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies? So you need to address the false prophetess they were like mediums or sorcerers. They were involved in magic charms. Uh, the veils they covered, uh, their heads, their faces, was a sign of mystery. And they did this to ensnare people. Um, they hunt the souls of my people. Uh, so you can see just the real problems that were here in the land. They were given over to cultic practices, violence, all those things. But today it's interesting how people can get involved in occultic kind of mystical kinds of things rather than just staying true to the word of God, which we are to do. And in verse 20, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against your magic charms by which you hunt souls like they're like birds. I tear them from your arms and let the souls go, the souls you hunt like birds. I will also tear off your veils and deliver my people out of your hand. And they shall no longer be as prey in your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So they're going to be exposed, and they're going to be dealt with. And then as we finish the chapter, because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad. Isn't that interesting? The heart of the righteous sad. That's what sin does, and false you know, hope, and giving in to a false word or message, listening to a false prophet, that it just will bring sadness to your heart. And, and that really caught me. The heart of the righteous sad, whom I have made, not made sad. And you have strengthened the hands of the wicked so that he does not turn from his wicked way to save his life. Therefore, you shall no longer envision futility nor practice divination. For I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. That phrase that keeps coming up. And then quickly, chapter 14, that idolatry is going to be punished 
Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired at all by them? Therefore, verse 4, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their hearts, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. And therefore say to the house of Israel, verse 6, Thus says the Lord God, Repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. Their idol worship, listen, was in their hearts. Their idols were leading them away from the Lord, forsaking the Lord. And that's what idol worship is. You forsake the Lord. Uh, you turn to those things. Uh, you are involved in sin and abominations. That's what we're seeing from Ezekiel, the description of idol worship, and giving in to that which is false. And as we read this, the effects of idol worship uh, being in their hearts, it, it was a stumbling block. It, it would bring the judgment. And so the elders come to Ezekiel to hear from God and what Ezekiel had to say. And while their idols are in their heart, Ezekiel spoke not what they desired to hear, but what they needed to hear. And, and that was God's going to deal with you. You need to repent. You need to get rid of them and turn back to the Lord. Always that message. But we need to speak to people what they need to hear, not just what they want to hear. In verse 7, for anyone in the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel who separates himself from me and sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. And I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So God's response of judgment would be harsh, Verse 9, and if the prophet is induced to speak anything, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. And they shall bear the iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be the same as the punishment of one who inquired that the house of Israel no longer stray from me, nor profane any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, says the Lord God. So the judgment again would be harsh from God and ultimately, uh, though, it would be good for the nation that they might turn back to him. That was the purpose of it. Not just God just delight in judgment. We're going to read in Ezekiel, he doesn't. But it was for their own spiritual good that eventually it would turn them back uh, because of the discipline and judgment of the Lord towards them. And in verse 12, the, the word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. It's kind of sobering words, and, and I think about it. When he says, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I think that's a message for our nation that really take to heart. A nation that was founded upon, you know, a belief of God, one nation under God, but we are getting further away, and we have now we can say persistent unfaithfulness as a nation as a whole. 
So this is a word for us and as a nation. But then it's interesting. He begins to talk about three well-known men of faith. Even if these, verse 14, three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness as the Lord God. Uh, so the things that God would use to bring judgment, uh, one is cutting off the you know, food supply and sending famine, the wild beasts through the country, the sword, uh, the, the plagues, as we read about it, uh, that are mentioned here. Verse 15, if I caused wild beasts to pass through the land, then they emptied it and made it desolate so that no man may pass through it because of the beasts. All these things is interesting, is even mentioned in Revelation chapter 6 in the tribulation period, the fourth seal. Death by sword, by hunger, uh, by wild beasts that's going to kill a quarter of the world. That's absolutely amazing. By the time the f- first four seals are opened up, that's, that's a quarter of the world. That, that's all of South America, North America, and Western Europe. That's a lot of people by the same kinds of things that are mentioned here. But let's finish the chapter as we go into verse 16. Even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they will deliver neither sons nor daughters, only they would be delivered and the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword on that land or say, sword, go through the land, and I cut off man and beast from it, even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would be they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only they themselves would be delivered. So he's talking about Noah. We know about Noah, Daniel, who is in Babylon in captivity this time, and Job. He mentions even if they were in the land, that sons and daughters wouldn't be saved. Now you recall that when it came to Sodom and Gomorrah, that Abraham pleaded with the Lord and said, even if there's ten righteous, will you spare the city? But here, even if, if Job, you know, who was blameless, upright, it's interesting he's mentioned here in Noah, who is, who is a preacher of righteousness. Of course, build the ark. As at that time, the world was very wicked and full of violence. And then even Daniel, who's speaking now, even if they're in the land, you know, I'm not going to spare the land. The, the judgment is going to come. And uh, that's what he's saying. It's going to be severe. And you're not even going to be able to save your own children. As we go into to verse 21, or verse 20 actually, uh, that even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they will deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. For thus says the Lord God, how much more it shall be when I send uh, my four severe judgments on Jerusalem, the sword, the famine, the wild beasts, and pestilence, those four things that cut off man and beast from it. Same four things that are mentioned in the fourth seal in the book of Revelation. Yet behold, there will be left in its remnant who will be brought out, both sons and daughters. Surely they will come out to you, and you will see their ways and their doings. And then you will be comforted concerning the disaster that I have brought upon Jerusalem, all that I have brought upon it. And they will comfort you when you see their ways and their doings. And you shall know that I have done nothing without cause that I have done in it, says the Lord God, finishing the chapter. So, you know, uh, here he says judgment is going to be severe. And um, he says the the men that were mentioned together because they were men of righteousness, um, they overcame adversity, but the judgment is going to come and uh, because of their persistent unfaithfulness. Father, we thank you for these chapters that remind us 
that um, the seriousness of sin, uh, what can happen to a nation that sins and continues in persistent unfaithfulness. So we want to take the time tonight to pray for our nation. We know the hope of our nation is this, that there will be a spiritual awakening and a turning to you and a recognizing you and calling out, Lord, confessing our sins and calling out for help. If we would just humble ourselves, you say in your word that you will heal our lands as we call out to you, turn away from our wicked ways. And Lord, I pray for our own selves, that we know that sin hurts, that it just hurts um, the people around us and leads us down a road to captivity and bondage and just sadness of heart, sorrow. And Lord, we know that your ways are right. You wanted to bless your people that were in the land. You gave them the land. And yet they were saying that we don't need you, Lord. And Lord, you have blessed this nation. And yet we are saying more and more as a nation, we don't need you. So I pray that we would give the words of truth to people in our community, stand on the gospel, the good news, and that we would be praying for our leaders as we're told to, praying for our communities. And Lord, may you use us to be a light, to minister to others. So Lord, we do live in days um, that... We see similarities that are in our land, our nation, the things around us, the warnings that are given to us through the word, knowing that these things will come to pass. Um, even as John uh, on the island of Patmos, when he received the revelation of Jesus Christ, was told by the angel, these things must shortly come to pass. We know that Isaiah, as he wrote about the, the, the day of the Lord, as he wrote about the millennium reign, early in his book in chapter 2 said that in the latter days these things will come to pass. Your word is true, and every dot and tittle of your word will be fulfilled. So, Lord, may it not scare us or may it not cause us to be full of anxiety, but joy, because we have the blessed hope. We have the promise of eternal life, and we belong to your kingdom that will last forever. But may it cause us to weep for others. Cause us to weep for others that, Lord, we, we know um, that sin brings eternal death if they don't repent and turn to Jesus Christ. And we know that uh, the world's going to end in a very dark way. And we look forward to when you, the light of the world, comes and establishes your kingdom. And then righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. So, Lord, I pray that we would be used to just minister to others. And, Lord, I pray that, um, that you would, uh, Lord, soften the hearts of the people that are around us, that are linked to us in our lives. And I just want to pray, if there is anyone that you're listening, that you have not come to Jesus Christ, that he is your salvation. And Jesus went to a cross, and he paid the penalty, took the judgment for you on the cross. And now he says, repent and turn to me, for I am your salvation. He declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He loves you, and that's why he went to the cross. He went to the cross to take care of the sin problem, to die for you specifically and individually. And today is the day of salvation. It's not by trying to become a good person or trying to become religious. It is by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did to you, for you, that is, on the cross and dying for your sins and rising from the grave. He conquered sin and death. And, and if that means anything to anyone, you can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. 
that, Lord, I believe you died for me. You took the judgment for me on the cross. Forgive me. You rose again. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I now ask you to sit upon the throne of my life as my Lord and Savior. And I want to know you and walk with you and know your ways. And I thank you for this hope that you've given to, to me, an eternal hope, a living hope through your resurrection. And Lord, I thank you for this new beginning in Jesus' name. Father, bless everyone here as we go our way. And Lord, may we be a light to others. Keep our eyes on you. Looking forward to when we meet on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. Hope to see you on Sunday. What gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer?